Good day and welcome to the Manage Self, Lead Others podcast, mainly for experienced and aspiring people managers. I'm your host, Nina Sunday, and a big thank you to C-Suite Radio and C-Suite TV. Uh, I appreciate all the sponsorship and support you give me. This is the show to help you explore ways to become the best version of yourself at work as a manager. Each episode, you'll hear from some of the brightest business minds on the planet who share your passion to elevate and transform team culture. They share insights in self-leadership and leading others. Together, we can make workplace culture better. Are you ready? Because it's time to manage self, lead others. episode, our guest is David Dean Spread, a former commissioned officer in the Australian Defence Forces and a covert operations leader in law enforcement. He transferred those skills to commerce, serving as a CEO and managing director of both private and public companies in Australia and Europe. David's a recognised global leader in attitudinal competence. Let's ask him about that, shall we? David, you've identified three key behaviours that are problematic for managers when they're leading people, and one of them is difficult behaviours, what do you find is the biggest mistake managers make trying to deal with difficult behaviours? The biggest mistake they make is actually not dealing with it because they're too afraid to deal with it. Head in the sand. Head in the sand. It'll go away. It might get better. And, And then they... And when they do try and deal with it, it's always um, an explosion and I have to deal with it now. Oh, you mean th- they they either are exploding because they finally have to blurt out because they've been holding it in. They blurt it out instead yeah. of being more considered yeah, and being yeah. more intentional. Yeah, absolutely. And they actually don't understand that there is a process for having these conversations. I'd very much like to ask you that process, but before I do, would you say that mostly managers, leaders don't, if they if they're letting poor behavior go on without addressing it, it's because they probably don't know exactly what to say. Would that be right? A hundred percent. They don't know what to say. Um, they're too scared to say anything in case they exacerbate the situation or make themselves look silly, or in fact make the other person feel uncomfortable, especially if that person actually does have some value to the business, as most of them do. That's right, because sometimes managers weigh up, oh, I can put up with this because they bring in such good results. You know, I've actually had that quandary. One of the, I've made that mistake in the past where I didn't deal with behaviour that was irking me, and it got to the point where actually I moved the role out of the business and that was no way to deal with it. No, sometimes people do that. They restructure around something that's difficult because mm. it's easier to restructure than it is to actually go through the pain of dealing with a person who's who's probably very adept at fielding tough situations or even creating them. I'm talking about 15 years ago. The reason I'm interested in all of this now is I didn't know any of this stuff. When I was leading a team of about 10 people, I made all the mistakes in the world, and then I worked out (laughs) probably too late. Oh, that's what I was doing wrong. So tell us, how can a manager, what's the process 
that a manager can use when they're trying to deal with difficult behaviour? Okay, so there, we begin with an idea called, I call it OLART, and it's no one's heard of that because I made it up. And it's an acronym, is it? An acronym of <laughs> O-L-A-R-T. Right. Observe and listen always. Listen more than ask. Ask more than tell and rarely tell. Oh, so there's a little bit of repetition of the letters in there. <laughs> there is, there is. And so, look, so the, the, the point here is, is that if we stand back and look at what's going on visually as well as audio and kinesthetically, we're picking up all the, yes. the vibes and we, we listen carefully, we don't rush in. And then we might ask, we go through a discovery, then a verbal discovery, we then ask questions. Help me understand why you're expressing yourself in this manner. If it's a badly, you know, a person speaking emotively or disrespectfully, mm -hmm. can you help me understand? You seem annoyed. Is there anything that I can do to help ease this situation? Uh, be frank with me. I can take it, you know. Right. So they're asking. And then um, continue to ask until we really understand what it is that's really bugging them, and and what the, and what solution do you think you have? What you know, give me a solution that we can work with here? So you ask them what what they think the solution might be. Oh, absolutely. Mm, that's like what we do in customer service. What would you like to happen? <laughs> yeah, well, yeah. How do you see this playing out in an ideal world? So you would definitely recommend this be a one-on-one -on -one private conversation, wouldn't you? A hundred percent. And it None should of these be... conversations should take place in front of other people. Exactly. And it should be on an even level. In other words, either both sitting or both standing. Would you recommend going for coffee or not necessarily? Well, I would make sure that we, um, we're at right angles to one another so we're not facing one another. Right. And that we can stand and walk if possible, because then we're burning the chemicals of anxiety. So if someone was really frustrated and want to vent a little, they could stand up and move. They're yeah, not stuck they in could. a chair. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. But you need a little a little mini conference room for that then, a little you private could. room or, or, or a room a out, or an area outside perhaps if it's good yeah, weather. go for a walk outside. A walk and talk. Yeah, a walk and talk. So stay at right angles or beside them so that you're looking ahead. You're not having to make eye contact. And when we're walking, we're breathing and we open up and we relax more. We burn the chemicals of anxiety. And so, you know what? You just made me realize I did a training course once with Nigel Payne, who I've interviewed uh, last year on this podcast. He was the former yeah. head of BBC Learning. It was about leadership. He used to get us at least twice, three times in a one-day workshop. It was down at the Rocks in Sydney. It yeah. was beautiful weather. Walk around the block, find a partner, walk around the block, walk and talk. And it's made me realise we probably should be walking and talking with our individual contributors more than uh, I want to talk to you, come and, <laughs> come and sit down. Yeah, 100%. walk and talk. Well yeah. Totally agree. I mean, I do teach walk at the, there is a walk and talk process oh. where I do a demonstration with the room if it's a training session. And I'll just pick up, um, pick one person, normally the most senior person in the room. Right. And then I ask a series of questions. In fact, the whole of the demonstration, I 
I only ask questions. But in the process of doing that, I get them to, to choose something that they've done recently and have a look at it in a way they've never looked at it before and come up with a benefit that they hadn't previously picked up on and they make a commitment to do something about it and they even then hold themselves accountable and prove their accountability to me within a specific time frame. And all I've ever done is ask some questions. Um, you talk about the deadly triad, and one is difficult behaviours blocking progress and sucking energy. The yep. other is misalignment that's wasting resources and time. Can you tell us about that, please, David? Yeah, look, a lot of um, people who are in the leadership team, and there are there, to me there's two leadership teams. One is a very senior leadership team, the, basically the CEO and, and her, his or her direct reports. And then you've got the whole of the leadership team from the CEO through to the frontline supervisor. Yeah. Now, often that executive team feel, believe, and sound like they're all on the same page because they've reasonably, uh, when they leave the meeting, they feel they're reasonably in agreement. But when they get back to their silos or their divisions, which are actually silos in many ways, they go about business as usual. and they often have made so many assumptions that we do have the same KPIs. We do know what the primary um, must-achieves are over the next week, month, or 90 days, and they're not, they don't test it. And so when I work in, go in and, and work with them, I ask them, what, A, what's, what are the values? What are the vision? What is the, the mission-critical stuff that has to be done inside the next month? And they get surprised when no one's on the same page, yet they believe they were. Right. So because test, they've all been talking generally about lots of different things, yep. but they haven't really done an order of priority perhaps? Correct. Or, or the actual numbers. They have different numbers in their head. Oh. They have different timeframes in their head oh. and they have different priorities in their head. And, and so... And then I asked them, so if you guys aren't in alignment at this level, how do you think that cascades out to the business when we're all pulling in different directions? How much um, loss of energy and resources and time is this simple area of misalignment costing you? And they really said, wow, we had no idea. We, we assumed, we thought. We believe we, we're in agreement. You know, we, we, we trust each other. And, so what is it? That. Is it because someone external has fresh eyes and asks fresh questions? Because yep. they're obviously having regular meetings about this. Are they just talking but not, you know, recording? We've agreed to do this. We've agreed to do that. This is the time frame. Are they just talking and assuming everybody's going to remember? There's a lot of assumption, a massive yeah. amount of assumption, mm. and there's also uh, most of those meetings are not functional. They're not they're, they're not e efficient. Because I know if you know anything about David Allen getting things got, done, right, in, in his first book he says his mission in life is to make sure that no meeting occurs without a list of next actions being drawn up. 100%. Uh, and you I mean, think that's part of the problem is they, they don't go who's going to do what by when. 
they don't get that specific. They're not that organised. And 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 look, most of these leaders are meeting fatigued. Yeah, they already have too many meetings. Yes, and and some meetings are work, work well, and most meetings don't. And so we've got that scenario. But then it cascades down to the to the rest of the leadership. And the other side of that part of the problem is that the wrong people. Um, Sorry, I'll rephrase that. The, the people who should be at strategy meetings aren't there. What are they doing? Where are they? They think they're too busy or well, too... Well, they're middle management and frontline leaders. They're not, at, they're not at the strategy meetings. They ah. should be? Of course. Oh, you mean the senior leaders think they're the only ones that should do strategy? Correct. Oh, okay. Well, and so they don't have they're... a realistic... But the senior leaders don't necessarily have a realistic um, perspective of what the teams can do or can't do or have the resources or the or the prior commitments that enable them or don't enable them to take on these strategic actions, which is often a change process anyway. Is it kind of the ivory tower problem? You know, they're, they're, they're up there talking about strategy and big picture and they forget that real people have to actually... Uh, you know, make roll that out. That's part of it. I mean, really, there is a there is a um, there is a lack of distinction between implementation and execution. They don't they don't understand the difference. Oh, I don't understand the difference. Okay, so the senior leader, the senior leadership group initiates strategy meetings. Yeah. Yes. And ideally, the implementation leaders. Who are your middle management? Right. People who look after the resources and coordination and and the measurement of of progress um, are there as well, and the execution leaders are there as well. And so implementing is um, passing down the strategy in a in bite sized chunks. Yes. And in the right order. Yes. And and together with the resource package and the measuring um, process that goes with it. Yes. And then the execution team leader um, briefs his team um, to, to actually do the work. Right, right. Execution, so execution is at, a, at a, a big picture level, bigger picture level than execution. Implementation. Implementation. Yeah, implementation yes. is, so you've got strategy, implementation, and execution. Got it. And all three require planning. Yes, and also if it involves change, uh, it usually includes uh, having a plan that includes the human-centred change because often yep. things get rolled out but they're not dealing with how, to, how do humans react yeah, to that Yeah, I mean, that's a, that is the single biggest continuous mistake in both mergers and acquisitions, which is a massive change thing in its own, and ordinary change. and. And even process change has to be human centered. That's right. All so change must be. I actually be got qualified last year in ProSci change management. So cool. I now understand that every change initiative has the project manager that does the execution of the steps, but Correct. you've got the change manager who looks after the informing and the, um, the attitude of the humans that have to go along with the execution, if I'm using the right phraseology. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, people do, people, um, op they design, implement and operate systems. 
Yeah. And so it's people first. People first, process second. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. And of course, if uh, a, a couple of episodes ago, Charles Handy, we had a conversation with Charles Handy. It was from my colleague in uh, London. Yeah. He talks about a, man- uh, a manager l- looks after things, a leader looks after people. 100%. Uh, so no every, every, every manager has both aspects to their role. So sometimes they're managing and sometimes they're leading, and that it's helpful if they understand the, the difference between the two roles. That it, it is c- the biggest distinction. I mean, it's, uh, it's, it's actually leadership 101. Yeah. What's the difference between leadership and management? And when I hear people talking about people management, I know that they don't know what they're talking about. <laughs> <laughs> Can't right. manage people. You cannot manage people. You can only lead them or not, or not. Yeah. And it's uh, and it's really unless you're in a uniformed or disciplined uh, outfit like the military or law enforcement. At the end of the day, you have to influence, persuade, coach, support, champion, inspire, and encourage them to do those things. You can't just command them. I think the situation, the leadership model, is quite appropriate. Um, attack a couple of things on either end of them. Um, we need transformational leadership, which is really the constant change now that we're going through. Mm. There's never, there's no, you know, there's no normal. There's no the way it was. There's no settling down. It's constant. It's and a rapid constant change. reinvention mindset now that we have to embrace. Yep, and we need to learn how to be resilient about that. Mm. and adaptable and positive, and we need increased self and situational awareness. Now, resilience is more than just bouncing back, isn't it? Resilience is a mindset, and it's uh, all in the mind, because when we realise one thing that all of the stress created in ourselves is not created by what's happening, it's created by what we think about what's happening. Yes. And how we think about what's happening. Yes. Because it's all created by ourselves. We create our emotions. They don't, they're not caused by something outside. They're caused by the way we respond to what's happening outside. And there's what the circle of, of influence. You um, focus on the things you can change and let go of the emotions around what you can't change. Yeah, absolutely. And, but and the, really, the trick is knowing the difference between the two. <laughs> indeed. And and really, and really we need to understand or we can choose to understand that it all comes from us, how we see the world. Yeah. Oh, now we're talking about growth mindset and fixed mindset here? Well, it it, it does. It absolutely involves that. Absolutely. And then there's Martin Seligman's learned optimism. But yeah, absolutely. They're all part of they're all part of the um, of the mix. And mm. when I created the attitudinal competence method, which came out of about that. So back in the day when I was training and developing covert operators, um, they're all high risk 
What do you mean exactly by a covert operator? We're talking military. Well, in in law enforcement, it's undercover work. Oh, right. Got it. Yes. Um, Where we had to um, insert ourselves and embed ourselves in criminal organisations. And we had to play the part. Mm -hmm. Um, So we're acting for real. Um, Every time something went wrong, and and they go wrong often because it's a high-risk, volatile scenario, Uh, We'd have to do an investigation. An operator may have blown his cover or her cover or they've become injured, they've been discovered and beaten up Mm. or there's been a a conflict, kinetic activity, gunfire and somebody's wounded or uh, an important asset, valuable asset might have been damaged or lost. Right. And so we have to do an investigation. And every time we did that investigation or those investigations, we realised that it it was the attitude of the operator in the moment that was the primary cause of what went wrong. Like pilot error. Example. Pilot error. Yeah. What what is the what is the wrong attitude? What was would be the right attitude? Well, okay. So it's a lot of a lot of it has to do with training and being aware. So. For instance, when we're under, so as an example, um, when we're undercover, we always keep our, our our given names because if you use um, a false given name and you're under pressure and somebody calls out your real name and you respond to that, yeah, you've just blown yourself. Yes, yes. And so every now and then, um, somebody would forget to do that, and they'd get blown because they weren't, didn't have sufficient self-awareness in the moment. Mm. And so little precautions like that. There would be other issues around surveillance and you know, blowing your surveillance operation, right? Getting, getting too close to the target or allowing yourself to be seen in a reflection in um, a shop window, uh, not ho- holding back enough. What do you mean allowing yourself to be seen in a reflection in a shop window? That's interesting. So if you're tailing a person on foot, oh, right. um, you've got to make sure that he can't or she can't see you in a reflection in the mirror. Right. You know, in the in the shop window. That's interesting. So very little little things like that. I mean, they're tradecraft stuff. And we had I've to never be... tailed anyone to know that. <laughs> We'd have to have um, self-awareness to know um, to to keep practising our tradecraft. Yeah. Our fieldcraft. And, yeah. Um, and so, so there's all those are self-awareness things. So you, yeah. if you blow your cover, then you've, you've blown the operation. Yeah. Now that could set you back months. Look, this isn't really what we were going to talk about, but I once had a conversation with someone from the UK who was a, de- a, de- a, a deception detector expert have you got any tips on how to detect deception yeah i mean it's the micro movements around the eyes so you've done nlp i have okay so you know how you um when your eyes look up yeah and they shift you're you're there's a word they use c word um not coordinating your visual constructed versus visual remembered yeah, but you, you, um, there's a word that we use, we're calibrating. Oh, calibrating, yes. Right, so yes. we're calibrating. Mm-hmm. And so you calibrate 
um, when is the person making this up? They'll look to a certain area. So you ask them, you know, to imagine something, and they'll imagine by looking in a particular direction for that person. Yeah, usually if it's a visual, it's either to the right or to the left, upright or up left. Yeah, yeah and, and usually, but you know, everyone is slightly different. That's right. It depends whether they're right-handed or left-handed. Yep, and I'm I'm a lefty. <laughs> <laughs> so a lot of people, if they're looking for facts, they'll yeah. look down. You know, and then you've got the person who'll stare at you, trying not to give you any um any yes. signs whatsoever. And so you're looking at at all of those things and micro movements around the eyes, um, little muscular movements around the face, and in the end you you learn it just becomes a almost an intuitive thing. Can I share with you what she told me that uh, if someone's say giving evidence or telling a story, so if they say I arrived at the destination, I got out of the car, I went over to the fence, that's telling the truth because they're using the pronoun. But if they say, arrived at the destination, got out of the car, went to the fence, they're avoiding saying the I word, it's likely they're not telling the truth. They're making it up, yeah, creating a false alibi. Yeah, right. Oh, there you go. Yeah. Yeah. So I haven't been able to use that one, but I've chalked that one away. It's good to know. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, look, at the end of the day, the reason why people lie is because they're scared. Yeah. And that's that's and really the be, only reason. It could happen in an office where uh, there's embezzlement or ha- fraud. Or pump, somebody's made a mistake and they're scared yeah. of the uh, the consequences yes. of the mistake. That's yes. the most common one. That's right. So, you know, we've got to really, and we this is where we need to be human about this mm. and, and, you know, allow errors as long as we learn from them. Look, we've almost come to the end of our time, David. Uh, It's been a fascinating navigation of the topic here. Just in closing, um, you talk about your observation that most companies don't invest, uh, have insufficient investment in practical leadership development. Um, Can you you tell us a little bit more about that? Yes. um, It's quite an interesting uh, thing. Uh, the, The commercial organizations and and government organizations are very very um focused on getting things done yeah um in the commercial area it's all about profit um and in the government's around about achieving tasks and they don't give enough time and they don't build the structures around ongoing development and so they think that they Certainly in commercial organisations, they say, David, can you deliver us a a two-day workshop on leadership? And I say, look, you know, what do you want to achieve? What what do you, how do you want them to be differently? How different do you want them to be from what they are right now? Well, they're not getting the respect of the people. They're not getting things done. They can't delegate effectively. Things aren't happening. Well, and you think two days is going to do that for you? (laughs) You know? That's right. Well, Well, what is it? The journey of a thousand steps starts with the first step. <laughs> well, to become a platoon commander, I had to live and breathe leadership for a good 12 months. Yes. Day in, day out as a young 19-year-old. And that is what def- defence, the defence forces are very good at making sure uh, their people that are going on to lead are well, have a really strong foundation. 
Absolutely. I've been Absolutely. very impressed now, with anybody that does leadership training that, that comes out of the Defence Forces. Yeah. I mean, look, it doesn't mean to say that we're all brilliant, <laughs> but but we do we do learn it, you know, and we learn a lot. We begin as a – well, in my case, I began as a platoon commander, but in the military police, but, you know, oh. with a small number of people. And then you begin – then you grow. You grow as you as you as you move forward, mm. and um, I swapped over into the um, narcotics bureau, and then I led covert teams, and then oh, a task force team. Mm. But uh, coming out of um, covert into overt, but but look, you know, we learned, and we learned all the time. We kept on learning. Yeah, that's the important and, thing. And yeah. and we invested in training. That's right. And well, look, that, um, that's the big learning that commerce needs to get now. I believe you've got a business diagnostic about attitude uh, and we can put the link in the show notes, but um, it, it will tell us about the diagnostic that people can get. Okay. So the, the diagnostic is actually about the deadly triad. Yes. So the CEO can actually do that deadly triad exercise. It only takes five minutes. Yeah. And then I will then be able to give them a report as to where they're at. Mm. And the the, um, the percentage, um, and also I'll be able to tell them the things that they can do about it to fix it, and that's um, a very simple five minutes. And anybody can uh, do that diagnostic and find out about where they sit in terms of uh, these behaviours. Well, in terms of their business, it won't be about themselves; it's about their business. Well, you have a wealth of experience. You've got some unique uh, skills and unique models. And I've thoroughly enjoyed talking with you, David. It's been quite the the, the pleasant conversation. I learned well, something about myself. Thank you, Nina. It's an app. Thank you very much. I really appreciate. Thank you for letting me on the show. I really <laughs> love being able to, to help. Great. That's great. This episode, we've been speaking with David Dean Spread on the Manage Self Lead Others podcast for experienced and aspiring people managers. I'm your host, Nina Sunday. Thank you for listening. Until next time. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.